0: Get in the know, nonstop Viking talk. It's Purple Daily on ScoreNorth and ScoreNorth.com. Purple Daily, presented by Surly Brewing Company. Hey guys, welcome in. Purple Daily. We're going to get into most of our normal Tuesday show here, including ranking NFL teams, and we have a, a really interesting Kirk Cousins question or theory from a listener that I dove into last night to find an answer to. I think it'll spark a fun discussion. Um, but, yeah, we are all, we all monitoring Monday Night Football last night and the DeMar Hamlin situation, so we want to dive into that to at least start the show here, presented by our friends at TCL. Um, TCL is one of the world's best-selling consumer electronics brands. They have a new lineup of award-winning TVs, delivering the most entertainment with stunning resolution, all at an affordable cost. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. Uh, and we'll talk about our friends at Surly later on in the episode. But Judd, I think, and we had a deep dive discussion into some of the other things on Mackie and Judd too, so um, go find our thoughts there. But you brought up briefly the Corey Stringer situation, which happened at practice and training camp, and you were you weren't a beat writer yet, but you were working at the Star Tribune, and you yep. were working very much in the local sports media scene. And so I guess... You know, as you kind of watch that unfold last night, and as we record this, there's been statements by the family, statements by the Buffalo Bills that um, there at least is a path forward here for DeMar Hamlin, but we're just gathering information on the fly as everyone else is. There's not a lot to go off of, but they did save his life on the field last night. And then this morning, he is still alive. They have him sedated, and they're trying to figure out essentially what the next steps are. But, you know, it for Minnesota Vikings fans who were around and remember 2001, I mean, Corey Stringer died on a practice field, and that's really the closest thing I think any of us who were at least old enough uh, to remember can compare this to.
1: Yeah. And I think part of the thing, so that it brought back a lot of uh, bad m- memories last night in watching that just from a, Oh my God standpoint of, of could this be happening again in a very different way? Cause as you said, that was practice. This was a game, but, I think the biggest dynamic that's changed is, is while both situations are unfathomable in how they occur, like it doesn't make sense in your brain that a young person who is a professional athlete could possibly be in this dire of straits through, through in this case, what looked like a very routine type of hit. Uh, But where we've, I think, come the farthest is I remember when Stringer, so Stringer got done with practice. This is, and this is at the tail end. And I mean, Roy Stringer's death is one of the most tragic things to happen in in the National Football League's history. But that being said, we also learned a lot. Like, uh, this is tough to get your head around because it was 2001, so it's not like it was 1961. But, you know, hydration, not practicing in just awful heat, which it was that, that day. So many things, and this is football because it can be archaic, or it certainly could at that time, So many unknowns led to that uh, because we just assumed, you know, oh, he doesn't need to drink and, you know, he can take supplements. That's fine. Right. Um, And Corey, you know, was exhausted, came off the practice field, went into the, at at the time, what was a training trailer. Um, They could tell he was in distress. They took him to the hospital and, and if memory serves me correctly, Overnight that night, his organ started to just shut down yeah. and, and he died. Um, and so I do feel like in this case, the one redeeming thing was like that. That was a death through lack of knowledge and preparation. Like if they had known what if they had put into uh, working methods, what they should have, Corey does not die. They have since then. But I felt like last night, the redeeming thing was there was full preparation to save this guy's life. Yeah. Like everything was set up to save him. Like there was I, it, I don't think there were missteps at all. Um, if they don't react as quickly as they do, he probably dies. And so I guess where I feel like we've come a longer way is in being prepared for something li- like this to either a completely avoid it or b, God forbid it occurs. And it did last night. That there, that there is the proper technology now and proper transitional things in place to address it immediately.
0: Yeah, it, 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 I mean, think about that. They, within a few minutes, I mean, instantly, everyone who saw it on the field, on TV, you just, you don't, you see a lot of football injuries. You see it. My first thought actually was, because they, they said, oh, there's, you know, there's a player down on the field and they, they start to show the replay. And, uh, and you saw him sort of getting up after the hit. And my thought was, oh, well, at least he's not paralyzed he's he's getting up oh and then the next part of the replay was you don't see a human fall that way right for a normal injury and when they fall that way it's it's very chilling right it's okay he's unconscious it's something with his head or something with his heart like you can kind of narrow it down as you're trying to figure out what's happening and that to me i think the the most chilling thing about last night is just this idea that And I said this a little bit on Mackie and Judd today, but we're all immersed in this game, this thing that, and especially for us, like we do this for a living. We talk about football and we have immersed ourselves in football culture and football lifestyle and everything And, and all the players, obviously, whose livelihood it is to be immersed in football. It's this thing that we essentially all pretend is really important. If we're being totally transparent, right? Like in the grand scheme of things, we're all just specks of dust on the planet here for a fleeting amount of time. And football is just a way that we entertain ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But when you're watching that game last night, like it's your fantasy championship. There's a number one seat on the line. There's other playoff ramifications. It's a battle between Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. It's, the, it's two young quarterbacks looking to you know, be on the Mount Rushmore of NFL quarterbacks. It's all these things that we have put great importance into as we're watching it. And then something chilling like this happens and you just disengage and you sort of snap out of it. And you're and you're looking at this and you're thinking, my God, like, how do you, and I'm glad they didn't play another snap in that game, but you, you come to this realization that, boy, this thing that we all sort of, fully engage in and it's we pretend like it's this really important thing. People can freaking die. And it's not happening every day, but it's actually been fifty years since someone died on a actual football field in a game. Uh Chuck Hughes, nineteen seventy one Lions wide receiver. Yep. But it just it it slaps you upside the head as a player or as a fan. More so as a player if you were standing ten feet from that last night. That, holy cow, like these dudes really are. Now, maybe he had a pre-existing condition and he was, for lack of a better phrase, maybe he was just sort of a ticking time bomb regardless of football or could have been some other activity, and we'll find that out at some point. But that was the most chilling thing that, oh, my God, this is none of this is, is important at all right now. This is a human being fighting for his life as ESPN tries to figure out how to present it to millions of people.
1: And that's true. I mean, th- think of all the things that we enjoy and love in life, and w- when you isolate them in the context that you just did, Phil. I mean, it's true of almost everything. It like is, what it really, really is. and and it's why we can't. It's why we can't go around thinking full time like you, What you just articulated, because it would make us be like, well, what's the point? And so, it's why this will, I think, and it's not a bad thing. Um, it will stick with us, but it will also pass to the point of we will go back to putting importance on games. Um, because the thing about it is, if you love sports or business, I mean, you think about the amount of things that we invest in, right? And I mean, invest in where we're, um, we talk about them constantly, we, we debate them constantly, and I mean, this could include business as well, right? So I'm not just saying sports. Um, if you were to if you were to go around thinking with the mentality that you just said we would all be like well who cares so like that's where i think it's it's difficult right now but distancing but eventually as we begin to distance ourselves i think putting it in the right context but also going back to being passionate about things is not something to feel guilty about
2: and yeah i i think too it's it, the player's reaction I think is what was just so alarming to so many people just because um you look at all these athletes that we all admire and we love to watch play football and and just their swagger like Joe Burrow or or the amazing athleticism that Josh Allen and all these amazing football players have not just those two guys uh, specifically and you see a reaction like that and it's it kind of humbles you a little bit and it kind of realizes whoa like we can always come on this show and have fun hot takes, make write that down predictions, and engage with our purple daily audience, which I love to do, uh, but then when something like that happens, it also kind of puts a lot of other things in perspective of this is 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 a game, but then there's also players that this is their livelihood that they shouldn't have to go out on this football field and think this is where my life could end like it, it it's it just it, it was a very spooky day, it was a very very spooky day watching everything yeah. kind of unfold
0: and I thought I, I know they were getting some pushback in the moment from from random people like social media, whatever. I thought ESPN handled it brilliantly from the moment that the situation started to unfold all the way through the Scott Van Pelt, Ryan Clark oh. it was 90 minutes or two hours. That's some of the most compelling on the fly. You think those guys, I mean, Ryan Clark was tweeting from an airport in his sweatsuit like five hours earlier, wondering if he, was, he had like a delay at the airport or something. You think those dudes... And Joe Buck and Susie Colber and Booger McFarlane thought they were in for that last night. So, yep. I I, I really 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 thought to handle that. Like, what are you supposed to do? People are like, well, they, oh my god, they're just repeating themselves. You got to cut away. You got to go to something else. Go to what? We're gonna go. We're gonna go show you some Cotton Bowl highlights from earlier in the day. Look at this Tulane comeback. Like that would have been inappropriate. Yep. And so for all of them with basically no information to sit there for. For the, the the Monday Night Football crew for over an hour, and then and then Scott Van Pelt at the desk um, right. with Ryan Clark. I mean, that was just some inc- it was it was compelling for horrible reasons, but the, I thought they did an amazing job, and I just want to throw that out there.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean, you transition from a football game to that, like like think about that ask mm-hmm. in in the flick, you know in. That quickly, you, you go from, okay, you're calling a huge football game, which you're totally prepared for and you've done a thousand times, to, okay, now, you, now you're now you doing a new story, life or, or death. I actually, on Twitter last night, I compared it as far as the transition. Uh The only comp I could come up with immediately was Al Michaels' 89 earthquake in San Francisco mm-hmm. because, you know, they came on, and it's the fa- famous thing where I think that they were showing highlights from, I don't know, game one or two or something. And it flickers and goes out, and Al says, "I think we're having an earthquake." And like from there on, they now had you're to a couple- news anchor a- yeah. exactly, and he did unbelievable work. And I thought jo- Joe Buck did, did too. If if you still think, oh, Joe Buck, he is just a smart ass kid, which he might have been at one time, but I thought what they did last night overall was outstanding. From from Buck, Aikman, Salters, who who was you know, and I mean, keep in mind too, these are people who have just witness this and so like you could hear in their voices they were shaken they they were not like a step back i'm going to cover this like a news story they had to do that but they had to do it having seen you know i'm i'm at home on my couch shaken up imagine being in the stadium so i yeah i thought from a news standpoint that was incredible of just a great job
0: you 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 tend to find out with sports media anyways because sports media it's it's just a it's a carnival of different characters and personalities from play by play all the way to the I'm not even gonna say his name, the guy on Fox Sports One, who then followed up his tweet last night by going on Fox Sports One this morning and basically putting on this act. He like was he was you you could tell he was acting out emotions and, and he, he made it about himself and how I couldn't sleep last night and I don't know if I can do this show today. It's like bro, it is yeah. not about you. Yeah. Scott Van Pelt, Ryan Clark, that's that is how you do it. I guess what I'm saying is you find out who in an industry that's largely just entertainment actually is a real human being with empathy and something right. to to offer in a moment like that. And uh a lot of people on ESPN were I, I I did think at one point when they were trying to figure out when they when Joe Buck and Troy Aikman threw it back to the studio in New York, right? And Susie Colber was in there with Adam Schefter and Booger McFarlane. And they're, you know, they were probably in catering. For, you know, they, they, what are they going to do? It's the first quarter. They probably had their uh, sweatpants back on and stuff. And it did feel like at one point you could, you could feel her trying to urge those guys hey, no one's coming to save us here. We're going to be on live TV for like 30, 45, 60 minutes. And so finally she started drawing
1: stuff out of them. But Susie Colber was incredible, too. I mean, what an impossible situation. Yeah, uh, and I I felt like Schefter didn't know what to, to say because I mean he is a he is a football transactional news guy, Booger. I actually I think he might have been the most like just taken aback to he didn't know he didn't know what to say and and you could tell yeah. he didn't really want to be on. So like Ryan Clark, I thought put on a tutorial like what Ryan Clark did, and and he's gone through some terrible stuff himself. Mm-hmm. I, I think he had his spleen and something else t- taken out at one point. So like, he's, he almost died. So like, but he wanted, it It was great listening to him because you could tell he wanted to be on to share. And this is not a knock. I thought McFarlane was just like, get me home. I can't do this. Yeah. Well, as a lot of people probably would. Oh, hundred percent. Right? Like, Again, that's just a, but I thought what SVP and Clark did, like if you teach a class on crisis TV, that was My a God. tutorial. It yeah. was some of the best TV I've seen. No
0: preparation, no notes, just speaking from the heart, exactly, brilliantly and eloquently, in a really yep. scary situation. Yep. So, um, again, we offered more thoughts on Mackie and Judd, our other daily podcast. You guys have any final thoughts on this? For now, there's we're we're, we're all just kind of waiting for information at this point. Well,
1: the last thought I I have, and, and it's a bummer of a thought, but I think it should be brought up off Dex's point is this one, you know, we saw that last night and it's a young man playing football and it's brutal because you're watching it in real time and he died and they thank God brought him back. But the thing that's striking me this morning is this, but we don't see it. So we just don't think about it. Think about all of the ex players in their forties and fifties with brain trauma who are left as you know, I, they can't walk well, or they can't think they can't remember yesterday. And so, I mean, there is no question that there is a very much hidden unseen toll that this brutal sport takes that we ignore. And I do too. I'm guilty. I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers. I am not trying to make people feel guilty, but you just think about like, like in your forties and fifties and sixties, you should not you should not be so you know uh, uh impeded with your brain or your body that it's like you're 90. And so like that is the one thing. Like last night we saw something awful and it sucked. But this sport does that eventually to a lot of folks that we still consider in our society now to be young.
0: It just yeah, it just happens off camera, not lo- it it happens gradually or you erode. It doesn't yeah. happen suddenly like this. And again, we don't know what percentage did this wasn't like a head on collision where a guy broke his neck or something and it it happened because of football right that was a pretty True. largely innocuous normal oh. NFL play last night that Happens resulted potentially in someone's death and so I think part of the question here too is what role did football play in this or would it or or, or was he right. just predispositioned that at some point in his life, whether it was a football game or a cardio event or something. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know what role football played in this, but it happened on a football field, which makes us all feel very uneasy. Rightfully yeah, so. Exactly. So Dex, any final thoughts from you before we, we'll, we'll move on to kind of our normal show here in a second.
2: Uh, no, I mean, it's the heart stuff is just so scary because it's, especially when you see someone young, um, Go through a potential cardiac issue. Whether that was again, yeah, was it before this football game? Before this football season started, has he had as he had a cardiac problem? And, and of course, you don't want to speculate on that. But you know, I when you see someone young having a heart issue, it, it does make that makes you kind of perk your ears up, and it's so alarming and scary. I mean, when I was twenty six, I wound up in the ER because I got an infection on my outer heart wall and it was because i was just so uncomfortable that day and i was snowboarding on a mountain and i thought am i just exhausted from snowboarding or is this something that i need to go look at and thankfully i went and got looked at and if i didn't get looked at things could have gotten really really bad and, and luckily it yeah. wasn't a wasn't a bad episode for me to, uh, that much but, but yeah it's just when when you hear heart issue in 24 it's just it's it's so scary and hopefully you know yeah he pulls through and all these other guys can hopefully get the proper help that they need that they saw with, with their teammate and whatnot.
0: Yeah. That, Cause that's a whole nother thing too. I mean, I, like, and you got these guys who are 22, 23, 25 years old, even the 30 year old guys who've been around the block in the NFL. That doesn't, that's a really young age to be thinking about and confronting your own mortality. Yep. And it doesn't, you know, just, just because this happened to DeMar Hamlin doesn't mean that other players are now like that. This is a likely situation, but you can't help, but think about that. And I think one more thing on this and then we can we can move on to um to some other things but you know to, to we we've all seen injuries on a football field a million times right and we've seen we've seen ambulances come out and that makes you feel really uncomfortable mm-hmm. but it's usually like a broken bone or they're worried about a neck or something and sometimes players do get paralyzed once every 10 12 years or something but almost every single time the players on the field, you can tell. Okay, this was scary for a minute, but now this person's in the hands of medical professionals, and maybe they give a thumbs up. Or, but you you see players generally going over and like it's all right. He's conscious. Oh, this is still scary, but okay, he's breathing. He's conscious. It's just we're kind of worried about a broken bone or a neck or something. And it and and there's generally a an exhale once the situation's cleared. Last night. That's the first time I can remember where there was no exhale. Where they put that guy in an ambulance after reviving him, and we didn't see that part on TV. The crowd started to cheer because that's what you do, right? Okay, okay, let's support him. He's going in. And there were 100 players on that field, and all of them had 1,000-mile stares on their faces. And like Declan said on Mackie and Judd, Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, the two coolest cucumbers in the NFL, right? Everything's cool. Everything's good, right? Those guys were shook. And as you're reacting to, oh, my God, like no one's, no one is, the tension is still as palpable as it could ever be, even after they cleared the field, that's when
1: you knew, oh, my God. Mm. There are certain things that, unfortunately, football players are used to seeing, backboards, masks being taken off, right? Like those are traumatic things. But those are part of the job. Defibrillators aren't. Like like when you see a guy being brought back to life, that, that's not to say that a spinal cord injury can't kill you. But I think you think if the person's awake and you see a backboard and the mask is off, you're like, okay, the proper steps. There's no like proper step to, oh, and by the way, if it's a defibrillator, yeah, we'll just do that. And yeah. so I think that that's where they saw things that are like, okay, this is not normal. Like this is not part of our job. And yeah, I don't blame them. They're young. So
0: you know, we've seen uh, all sorts of messages of support, and even even Vikings player Patrick Jones was a teammate of DeMar Hamlin's at Pitt, yep. and so he sent out Kenny Kenny Pickett, quarterback for the Steelers, just sent out a message on social media. He was teammates with Hamlin at, at Pitt, and so just like everyone else, you know, we're we're waiting for more information, and obviously hoping that DeMar Hamlin turns a corner at some point. Um, all right, you guys want to get into some quote-unquote some, some normal Purple yeah, Daily let's stuff it. here. Let's do it. There's no easy way to transition, but uh, I discovered something fascinating about Kirk Cousins last night when researching a question from a listener. And I'd love your guys' thoughts on this. All right? I think as I throw this out to you, it could be interpreted in one of two different ways, depending on your thoughts about Kirk Cousins, but Uh, emailer, Jared Hyman asked is Kirk cousins. So he came at it from kind of a negative perspective, right? Is Kirk cousins, one of the worst quarterbacks in the league when playing with a lead? I would love for you guys to do a deep dive into this because every time we have a lead, he seems to play like garbage. He gets super conservative, seems less sharp with his throws, his decision-making, and we can't sustain drives with a lead. He allows opposing teams to get back into it. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, He leads the NFL in fourth quarter comebacks this year when they need him. Okay, now we're down. We got to go. We got to go, right? Would love some analysis beyond my eye test. So I present to you guys one of the most compelling statistical trends I can remember digging up on this show. Okay. Kirk Cousins since 2018, okay, when leading, these are his stats when leading, ranked among all the other quarterbacks. So when the Vikings have the lead, this is just Kirk Cousins as a Viking. I didn't didn't go back any further than 2018. He ranks when leading 32nd out of 53 qualified quarterbacks in passer rating, 36th in yards per attempt, and 35th in completion percentage. So 32nd passer rating, 36th yards per attempt, 35th outside the top 30 in those categories when the Vikings have a lead. When the game is tied since 2018, Kirk Cousins has the number one passer rating in the NFL. That includes Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. He ranks, again, when tied, he ranks seventh in yards per attempt and second in completion percentage. When trailing since 2018, 10th in passer rating, 12th in yards per attempt, 11th in completion percentage. So basically, if you were to take Kirk Cousins when tied or trailing, he is unequivocally one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL since joining the Vikings in 2018. Mm -hmm. When leading, you could argue he's, I don't know if you'd say one of the worst because there's like 53 quarterbacks that qualify and he's in the 30s but he's not good relative to the rest of the league when leading in games.
1: What do, do you, you make have, of that? Um, what What is it this year? Because I'm guessing it's pretty consistent with that, but I don't it's know. It's actually
0: sure. this year. I did do yeah. a search for this year. It's actually pretty even across all three categories this year, which is a little yeah. surprising. You'd think that he would be much better because of the fourth quarter comebacks right. when, when trailing. But there's been some games, I think, that skew it, like, When trailing against the Eagles, Cowboys, Lions, and Packers, he's been so bad that it kind of skews those overall trailing stats.
1: Because I feel like it's only fair to break up some of these uh, statistical breakdowns as Kirk pre KOC two thousand eighteen to twenty one. Yeah, because I feel like what those stats point to, I did see, and and it's why it's part of why I got down on Kirk. But on the positive side, you could say when the game is tied or when the Vikings are
0: trailing, he's a dude. But there were certain times we've seen that this year when
1: they were trailing, where where that's where we we would talk about. Here come the stats because then he'd start going off, and it it would be like, okay, dude, but the pressure like like you you can cut things loose now, and you do for this year. I feel like it's been a different story Um, because Kirk has definitely turned a page thanks to his coach in some ways. He's definitely turned up he's definitely turned a corner, I should say, not a page. Um in how he approaches things and how the approach looks. So, I would say that that statistic that you gave us, Phil, for 2018 to 21, what I make of that is it does not surprise me one bit. It very much justifies how I felt Kirk played um because and and that's where it got frustrating too because it's like okay, Kirk, I feel like you more so in in trailing i feel like you take off when it's too late which which to his credit this year he has clearly not done he's he has taken off and brought his team back when it matters which is why i feel very different for the most part about kirk cousins 2022 into 23 than i did the previous guy signed by spielman and coached by zimmer
0: yeah it's so fascinating it is and by the way i just want to i'm going to pull this up to because i'm sure people are wondering okay well who are the best sort of front-running quarterbacks over that same stretch. And um, the top ten, if you just take passer rating since 2018, the best quarterbacks win. leading, Drew Brees. Uh, here some guys in the top ten. Uh, Drew Brees, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and then you also see uh, Teddy Bridgewater in here. Really? Dak, Dak Prescott, Eli Manning before he retired. Marcus Mariota actually is a great front-running quarterback when things are going well leading. So the difference is, so Kirk ranks among these names when tied or trailing, but the difference is when you need to throttle down, on, or people have called me out on this, throttle up, when you need to push the gas pedal (laughs) more aggressively and build a bigger lead, that's when he tends to let off the gas. And that's the, That's oh, one of the big throttle down. Mm-hmm. down. right?
2: Aren't you pushing? I even down got an email
0: was? from uh, from our uh, head of sales, Bernie. He's like, I told him, I told yeah, him, I told him after the season. I mean, no, I love
1: Bernie, but
0: I said after the season, sales team, we're going to throttle down with even you know we're going to throttle down with free agency content. He goes, wait a second, like you're going to throttle down, like you're not going to do as much. We're like,
1: no, no, no. But you because know what I'm saying? A, to cause a vehicle to reduce in speed.
0: <laughs> okay. So, throttle
1: up so, or yep.
0: hit the gas. That's we all learned for. something
1: today. And, Bernie, I apologize. <laughs> you are right. So, yep. I, I, was,
0: I was asking myself, you know, why is this the case? Why is he generally not as good when playing with a lead relative to his peers and, and excellent when trailing or tied? Mm-hmm. And, and my thought is psychologically, he plays better when there's nothing to lose, right? He goes into preservation and protection mode more often when there is something to lose. Yep. And the clip from his biography that we have referenced before, and I could never actually find. Like I, I found it a, a while back. I think it was some feature that was written. I think Chad Graff wrote something when he covered the Vikings. I went on Amazon last night, boys, and I paid four dollars for the Kindle edition of oh, wow. Kirk Cousins' autobiography from 2013. And I'm going to read you some of this. This is a young Kirk Cousins who had just emerged into the NFL, and it's his sort of story, and it's more about like how he weaves faith into football and some of the lessons he had learned in college and et cetera. Okay. And Chapter 3 is called Spartan Quarterbacks, Michigan State, Spartan Quarterbacks Make Good Decisions. Mm-hmm. During my visit to Michigan State, I had a one-on-one meeting with the quarterback coach, Dave Warner. Among the many questions he asked me was, what do you think is the most important thing a quarterback must do to be successful? I paused as I didn't have a ready answer. I knew eventually uh, I would answer, but to this day, I couldn't tell you what I said. I do know that my answer wasn't impressive. And when I finished rambling, he gave me a simple but profound answer. Good quarterbacks make good decisions. Fast forward a few pages here, and Kirk is about to play his first game inside Notre Dame Stadium. He's a sophomore, I believe, and he's making this is his first few starts as a quarterback in the Big Ten at Michigan State on the big stage. They just lost to Central Michigan the week before, and now they're playing Notre Dame inside that stadium. We went into halftime, clinging to a one-point lead, knowing we would need to continue scoring throughout the second half. It was going to be a back-and-forth game, and so now... The Spartans have the ball at their own 15-yard line, two minutes to play, field goal ties it, touchdown wins it, two-minute drill. After several completions move the ball down the field, we found ourselves well within field goal range. Our team possessed one of the best field goal kickers in the country, so it was safe to say we're going to overtime at minimum, and we win the game with a touchdown in regulation. My quarterback coach, so they've kind of secured the field goal at this point, right? My quarterback coach looked at me from the far sideline and pointed to his temple. After working with him for three years, I knew what this meant. Be smart. Don't do anything stupid. We have three points locked up. Be careful. Be careful. I nodded back to him. It continues. My quarterback coach always taught me, don't make a bad situation worse. In other words, when things go wrong, and they will, cut your losses and play for the next play. Rather than heed my coach's advice in this moment, I panicked and threw a ball. So there was supposed to be a motion before the snap. He forgot to wave the receiver in motion, so the whole like route tree got blown up before the ball was snapped. And so uh, instead of just, like, a boarding mission, I panicked and threw a ball into a host of players over the middle. (laughs) A Notre Dame defender intercepted the pass, in effect, ending the game. We went from having overtime in the bag to losing the game on my horrible mistake. I remember picking myself up off the turf after tackling the guy who made the interception, walking back to our sideline, and listening to 80,000 people cheer my failure. It's a strange feeling to make a big mistake on national TV, and then listen to people cheering it at a deafening volume. I hated having to look my coaches and teammates in the eye. We battled so hard the entire game, and yet my one mistake cost us a chance at victory.
1: Well, first of all, his, that coach, I hope, was fired at some point because pointing to your temple before. Um well yeah. <laughs> so here but here's the thing with Kirk, the KOC unlocked. Kirk Cousins, just as a starting point, was born with a mentality of not sabotaging things and being careful. He needs someone not to say, don't be dumb, Kirk, and especially not to point to his temple in, in right before a key play. Like, Remind gonna, you, don't screw it yeah, up. Yeah, don't Let's screw it up. I'm going to write that down. Just
2: start pointing that, at my temple.
1: That's basically like icing the kicker, right? Like, I yeah. mean, that's icing your quarterback. Um what Kirk needed and what Kevin provides is somebody who's like no I need to be the 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 opposite of you so that I can empower you because there's a difference between being a moron with a throw and and making a throw that your coach knows and is confident you can make that's going to be a tough throw like the, if you're going to throw the ball if you forget to motion the guy first of all somebody call a damn timeout Okay, but second of all, if you're going to do that and the play is going to break down, then I agree throwing it in throwing into a mass of people is really stupid. But you know what's not finding a window down the field where it might get picked. And and I mean, there is no question. Kevin O'Connell has. I don't think he would say this directly, but he has empowered Kirk to throw picks. You know, and, and, he, and
0: he does have a, a career high in picks this season, yep. But, yep. but he also has been the best he's been in the fourth yep. quarter
1: of close games in his career. And so I'm not criticizing that. I'm saying Kevin O'Connell and a coach like that is what Kirk needs. Kirk doesn't need other people. And it's where Zimmer, you know, I mean, if it's true that Mike called him in last year and finally said, dude, turn it loose once in a while, right? Think about Mike Zimmer saying that. So like Kirk is going to be conservative Kirk all the time. What he needed was a smart football mind to say, dude, you have physical gifts. I mean, I really think the majority of Kirk Cousins' problems when he has them are upstairs. I don't think there's anything.
0: Well, that's he's not, not a, true. He's not, he's not great not, about he's not, he's,
1: I mean, like his, his
0: mobility is like, you know, 20th percentile among NFL quarterbacks. Right, but he's not going
1: to He's not going to be hurt, but my point is. His main flaws as a quarterback are upstairs, and that's what I like is I think the relationship with O'Connell helps clear up th- those flaws uh because there's a big difference between making a stupid throw and making a risky throw that everyone thinks, including the head coach, you can make I wouldn't
2: call it his flaw, I would call it, it hedges himself it hedges himself to reaching your full percent your your fullest percentile right like he yeah. doesn't want to get the full payout when I can just oh but I can put this insurance mode on. I can get still my money. I don't. I don't have to worry about losing a whole lot. It hedges himself. It it hinders him from wanting to make the bigger throws. I'm with Judd to a degree that I think it holds him back. And the last thing you need is someone. It, it's it's not fun when you're in a work situation and someone's breathing down your neck saying, "Don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up." Guess what? You're probably going to do probably going to mess up. So I, I I'm kind of with Judd on that to a degree too.
0: I think it's so. Just to put a bow on this. And the reason I bring up this excerpt from his autobiography is because I do, I do think it helps explain the psychology of why he is a better quarterback statistically and eye test when the game is tied or when he's trailing. Mm-hmm. Because when, when you're leading a game, there's something to lose. All right, we're up. I don't want to be the reason why we're not up anymore. So I'm going to be a little less aggressive. I'm going to be a little bit more conservative. Just make sure that I'm not the reason why we screw up a good thing here. And that psychology goes back 10 years to Michigan State. And so I think I think that's what KOC has been. And if you look at his career, too, there's a reason why the Vikings play all these close games. Some of it's defense. Like, the defense doesn't allow them to get as much separation because it's not a good defense. But there's some offensive psychology here, too, that they don't just throttle teams up or down, however you want to, uh, you know however you want your analogy or metaphor to be presented. They don't just throttle teams for three hours. Like some of the other, the Drew Brees teams or the, you know, the other quarterbacks I just listed. Right. Um, It's like they get a lead and then, okay, all right, cool. Here we go. We got a lead. Let's not go crazy here. Let's not throw the ball down the field and let's chunk it. And the stats bear it out. And, um, I don't know. It's interesting. There's a, there's, there's praise here. How great is he when trailing and tied, but then there's, criticism of boy can't you just uh can't you just jump out to a 31 to 10 lead once in a while and put your cleat on someone's throat
1: and that's on the coach too like that like that's a team-wide offensive issue that has to be addressed because it is frustrating and and i mean that's that's kirk that's o'connell that's everybody it is incredible to have a team that's won 12 games and only once has done exactly that
0: Mm -hmm. and how often did they did they do it last year when they won eight games? They I didn't. mean, you can cu- probably count on one hand how many times the Vikings have just beat the brakes off a team. And, of course, people are like, well, it's the defense. Okay. But there's some teams with bad no. defenses that still stumble into, like, two or three blowout wins in a season. Yes.
1: yes. Um And this team, like, when you have, look, uh, Cousins, Jefferson, Cook right now, um, Hawkinson, right? Like, think about Think about the skill position players that this team has. And then when, when you look at the scores, it's incredible that they haven't stumbled into, you know, three blowout wins, right? At least because you've got the components. Yeah. So uh, I thought that
0: was interesting. Wanted to get your guys, your guys thoughts on it. It's a good, a good question. Pointing to your temple
1: thing. That's a bad coach. (laughs) Yeah. I (laughs) I think every
0: every time they have a lead, I think he's thinking about that coach. He is. And I don't screw it up, Kirk. Don't screw it up. No, dude. They should almost put, like, a fake score on the scoreboard. All right, the game is tied, <laughs> always, at all times.
1: 33 nothing. you're down. What are you going to do about it, Hot Chats? I mean, literally,
0: five years, he has the best passer rating in tied games since 2018. That's crazy. I just think of the
2: happy Gilmore scene of Ben Stiller looking at Grandma being like, don't you say a word. Yep. Like that is yep. Exact, yep. That's exactly what I'm thinking about with Kirk <laughs> Don't <laughs> Screw Up. <Kirk. laughs>
0: well, now your back's going to hurt because <laughs> you just pulled landscaping <laughs> duty. <laughs> Um, all right, Judd, uh, a, okay. a, a cheers to the upcoming playoffs, courtesy of our friends at Surly. Yep.
1: And the, the good thing about this is there are so many ways to cheers the playoffs. You can do it with a Furious, a Logic Bomb. Um, uh, you could do it with a Before I Die, an Axeman. Surly has an answer. No matter what beer flavors you like, guess what? Surly can take care of you. Uh, and as always, when you are enjoying your Surly, Show us your cans. I'm at Jay Zolgate on Twitter at Score North. We want to see your beverage.
0: Amen. We also want to see your dog photos and videos. We love when people send us uh, pictures of their pups when they bring their dogs on VETLAND. This is Maya Mac. Don't, Don't screw up, Maya.
1: Don't screw up. No, is... she looks like she's looking at Phil like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the look on her face like when Dad says, "Uh <laughs> huh." What? Judge Go ahead, General. Judge. Finish. Oh no! I, I was stopping. <laughs> I was
0: stopping this on is, purpose. You are just like a bull in a, a china yeah. shop. Uh, this stopped. is the this is the look on Maya Mackey's face when Daddy tells her we're still about two hours away from Nutrisource chicken and rice here. Okay, uh, from your training treats, this is the official dog food of Mackey and Judd and Purple Daily. And Stella loves herself a little Nutrisource as well.
1: Yeah, and guess who? Guess who does not wait? Guess who tells me when she, she's going to get her training treats or? Her her uh, dog food Stella right there, and much like like your dog Phil, Stella Zolgad loves Nutrisource. She loves the breakfast, she loves her her dinner, and she loves the training rewards treats. Nutrisource for a healthy and happy dog, even one who controls your house.
0: Nutrisourcepetfoods.com dot com to find a retailer near you. And before we get to our pigskin pecking order here. A shout-out to our friends at Federated Mutual Insurance Company. They've been around for over 100 years. Like a great offensive line for your business, they provide a guiding hand and protection, risk management tools and resources to help maximize the success of your business. Federatedinsurance.com to find your local marketing rep and to find the full list of industries Federated specializes in. Federatedinsurance.com. All right, boys, every single week, we rank... The 10 best football teams in the National Football League. And we try to decipher where do the Vikings rank. So this is an aggregate ranking according to myself, the CEO of Vikings Twitter, the clickbait officer of Purple Daily Declan, and the chief beverage distribution officer, Judd. Some interesting stuff here. We'll just get into, we'll kind of fly through this and then we can discuss. Consensus, we have the Kansas City Chiefs as the best team in the NFL. Got the Eagles number two. It's tough with the Bills and Bengals because they really didn't play last night. So kind of status quo here. Bills three, Niners four, Bengals round out the top five. Now Judd and I had a very similar top five. Uh, you flip the Eagles and Bills, and you put the Cowboys above the Bengals for fifth. Declan had the Bengals actually fourth mm-hmm. with the Niners 2nd mm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm now in. And uh, you had the bills fifth. Oh. I bought the stock oh. at the best time. I think you bought
2: a little late actually. was a little night. late, but you know. Yeah, San Fran, you were bashing them like 2 months. Oh, but ago. now I'm now I got the stock and now now I understand. Now, okay, now I get all right. it makes sense. Right. My favorite take of Dallas. Purple
0: Daily this football season is when Declan accused the 49ers of winning close games all the time when they had like six blowout wins on their resume.
2: Yeah, sometimes I just like to talk out of my uh, rear end and uh, that was <laughs> one of them.
1: <laughs> you were thinking of the Vikings.
0: Yeah. All right. The Dallas Cowboys are sixth. Yep. The Vikings still seventh. Yeah. Okay, we'll get to that. Chargers, eight. Chargers. Ravens, nine. And the Jacksonville Jags at ten. Others receiving votes. Let's see here. Uh, Judd, you had the Packers at ten. You were the only one that didn't have the Jaguars in. Declan and I had the Jaguars at nine. Yep. You had the Packers at ten. Yep. Where did we all have the Vikings? Well, you guys basically didn't budge. Declan, you moved them from sixth to seventh. Judd, mm-hmm. you kept them at seventh. Yep. I've seen enough.
3: They wow. are not Hater. they
0: are no longer the seventh best team in the NFL. Hater. I'm sorry. You don't get smoked again like that and stay at seven. I know their record is one of the seven best records, whatever. But uh I have the Vikings now tenth behind We'll see here. Yeah, who'd you have? six or I've got the Jaguars, Ravens, and Chargers now ahead of them, 7, 8, and 9. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you can fight me on that. But the Vikings have gotten their doors blown off a few times, yeah. including last week. And that went against the Colts, they also got their doors blown off for half that game and then had sure. to put together a historical comeback.
1: I'm very mixed on, on Baltimore. I don't know what to make of them. And Jackson's come back for the playoffs, I think. Which will make a difference, yeah. but I'm torn on the Ravens. They're
2: amazing with Lamar in the lineup. I think they showed that graphic on Sunday Night Football that they average like 28 points per game when he starts since he debuted, yeah. and they average like 16 without him. So he is their offense. Um, but I I just don't think that team is as good as the Vikings right now.
0: Okay. So, uh, well, we know the one thing's for sure the Vikings, if they played the Ravens, would either get their asses kicked by 30 or win a close shave game in the fourth quarter. Pretty much the only two outcomes.
1: Yeah, I think like seven through like twelve. If if we went twelve deep, could, could be put in a hat and mixed up.
0: Yeah, because you also have like the Dolphins, the Lions, yeah. the Seahawks, the Giants. None of us have the Giants rank. Well, they're nine, right, six, and, the, and one.
1: I almost did, but then like the Packers are playing well now. I I don't know. It's a me- it's a mess after six, probably.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be wild, man. Because it's funny in the NFC, you could have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers sneak into the playoffs as like the two lowest, which uh, the two you worst more?
1: records. Right now, which one scares you more if they or in All, the playoffs? Always Tom Brady
0: in the playoffs. Rogers always melts in the playoffs. Tom I Brady think, rises up. I think so. I'm pe- people true. have written off both those teams, man. I would not be so quick, especially a, if Jalen Hurts isn't hundred percent.
1: I'm not a Bucks fan, but that offense is starting to click a little bit now.
0: So is the Packers. Oh, yeah. Got to look out. Run the ball. Do we have time for Judd Guess's PFF grades, or should we just save that for tomorrow? I think you save it. Okay. Okay. Save Sorry, it. audience. You're going to have to wait.
1: That's up to... Judd's yep. going to have go to off. avoid PFF uh, looking at PFF. Duff, if you want to blame somebody, I didn't duck it. Think. I didn't duck it. It was Declan. Think. Where are you pointing? On my screen, you're pointing off camera. Well, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, Dex. Dex is this way. To
0: me. Oh, interesting. He's
2: this if way I point this
1: If yeah. I point this way, I'm off camera. So oh, I that's point weird.
2: this
0: way. That, that's not correct,
2: yeah. Dad. You're, you're pointing... Who's pointing
0: at Declan right now?
2: Phil's pointing. Well, I'm looking at it like you're pointing at me. Phil is. Me too. Yeah.
1: So right now, so if I point this way...
2: no, Now you're pointing yeah. at both of us, yes. I believe... Unless I, we're looking at this like in a mirror. Like, is the audience seeing this in the complete opposite? <laughs> I don't know. This we this not like a about. bunch <laughs> of idiots. This is dude. not
1: worth talking about. It's been a good we'll show. I tried to kill the show. No, you did try to kill the show. Amazing.
0: All right, well, that's a wrap on Purple Daily here today. Appreciate you hanging with us. Um, we'll see you tomorrow for some write-that-down predictions and an accountability session.
3: Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plug to a Chris Howard. University of Michigan QB, J.J. McCarthy, makes bold predictions but doesn't fulfill them, and Ohio State kicker Noah Ruggles misses an opportunity to etch his name in Buckeye lore. Fans love their teams and the players, that is, until they don't. When it comes to finger-pointing, you'll find no greater antagonist than the fan. Why? Because it means more to them, or so they believe. As a former player, nothing angers me more than armchair charlies accusing the teams of overlooking opponents or blaming players for providing bulletin board material. But leading up to the game, the fan is the one talking the most, boasting the most. When the team is winning, it's a lot of we talk. But when the team loses, it turns into they lost. You will never know what those moments feel like because you didn't put in the work to earn those feelings from those moments. That's the great thing about being part of a team. You win as a team, you lose as a team. We cry. We console our brother. We don't point a finger. We go back to work, back to the early morning workouts, the hill sprints, back to the bloody noses and broken bones. Why? Because it really means more to us. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard.